Right, do have a seat and uh, we will get going again. And what I need is this. Fantastic. Well, first, it's my pleasure to publish some bands of marriage. And I published the bands of marriage quite in the cheap seats. Um, he's going to walk out on me now, I can tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, he is, he really is. Okay. John's meant to be elsewhere anyway. Um, I published the bands of marriage between John Donal O'Donovan, single person in this parish, and Laura Louise Marcelli, also a single person of this parish. This is for the first time of asking, and if any of you know any reason in law why these two persons should not be married, you are pleased to let me know before you leave church today. We're going to pray for John and for Laura, uh, who's with us today, and uh, pray for them as they prepare for their wedding day in August. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of love. Thank you that uh, Laura and John have found in one another that gift and for their life together. And we want to pray for them as they prepare for their wedding day, that you will surround them with your love, cover them with your protection, fill them daily with your Holy Spirit. And as they discover that gift in one another, that they would find in you the source of their love and commitment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, do grab a Bible. They should be the ends of uh, the pews. And uh, we're going to turn together to the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to read about Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday in the life of uh, at least this part of the Christian church. And uh, we're going to be thinking about what happened 50 days after, Pente- after Passover, roughly 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm just going to read a few verses. Um, and uh, we're going to read uh, the first six verses of Acts chapter 2. You'll find it on page 1000. And 93. And if you think when you read ahead that the reason that I'm only reading the first, well, let's say seven verses, is because I'm a coward about verse 9 onwards, you're right. Page 1093. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in their own native language? And then it gives a list. And we'll leave it there. Wind, or at least the sound of a violent wind, but you're indoors. Tongues of fire, and yet your hair isn't on fire. Speaking in other tongues, and yet you are, for the most part, uneducated fishermen and... uh, uh, um, what we in another age might have called peasants uh, living off the land. Wind and fire and tongues. To call it unusual would be a somewhat of an understatement. It's not what you're expecting. It's, it's an odd occurrence. Even in the Gospels, uh, to which this is the second half, Luke wrote the Gospel and then wrote Acts as the sort of follow-up, the second half. 
um, it's still quite an odd thing, even in the context of miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 and so on. A wind that fills a room, fire resting on each person's heads, and tongues that speak of God's great gifts and God's great goodness to a, a crowd of people from all over the world. But they're worth noting not simply because they're odd, not simply because clearly something remarkable has happened here. They're worth noting because they were the answer to a promise that these friends of Jesus were absolutely relying on. They were the answer to a question that hung over their heads and had hung over their heads for at least 50 days. And the question was this, do we have to go it alone? Do we have to go it alone? Uh, Many of these disciples, friends of Jesus, had spent three years following Jesus. He'd preached and taught. He'd done amazing miracles. He'd led the crowd. He'd even raised the dead. He'd spoken of God and lived out out this incredible life before them. And they had been incredibly excited that maybe this was, was God's Messiah, God's chosen one, God's rescuer, who had come and rescued them from under the boot of the oppressing Uh, invaders, the Romans, would throw them out, would be the one to sit on the throne once again of God's people. And then they were devastated when he was arrested, tried, tortured, and killed. That was the end of everything. They thought for these three years that God was with them, that maybe they didn't have to go it alone, that maybe it wasn't just them versus the Romans, them versus an occupying force. Maybe this was God with them. And then everything was destroyed. His arrest his trial, his torture, his crucifixion, just said to them, well, maybe God isn't as close to you as you thought. Maybe God isn't as present as you believed. Maybe in this Jesus, he is just another one like you, similarly alone, similarly walking through life, trying to do the best that he can. And then, as we celebrate on Easter Sunday, and actually as we celebrate every day, Jesus isn't dead. Jesus uh, is alive with the resurrection life and the life of the world to come, never to die again, uh, showing them that actually God is with them, that there is hope, that he has brought them rescue. And then, a few weeks later, having spent time with them, having taught them, having tried to explain to them God's plan and history to rescue and to redeem and to use them to reach all the nations, not just one nation, but to reach everyone, Jesus leaves them. Jesus leaves them. We were thinking about this last week as Jesus goes back to be be with his Father in heaven as um, Luke writes about at the beginning of Acts in the Ascension. And once again, they're left with this huge question. Do we have to do it alone? There is perhaps no bigger question in human life than are we on our own? I don't know whether um, any of you uh, ever listen to Desert Island Discs. Um, I never do on purpose. I just, if I happen to switch on the radio in the car by accident, then it's quite often a delight to listen to it. It's a radio for usually about half an hour interview with some famous person from some walk of life, and they're told that they have to imagine being cast um, adrift and landing on a desert island, and they're there alone, but they get to take with them, is it seven or eight pieces of music that they can choose? And they pick these eight significant pieces of music, and you hear them play the piece of music and talk about why they're important to them. Well, Tom Hanks was on last week or the week before, and I promise you it's worth, I was going to say half an hour every time, it was so good that for the first time in the 40-year history of Desert Island Disc, they gave him more than 40 minutes. I think they gave him 45 minutes, because it's such a good interview. And there's one point in that interview where he gets quite emotional, uh, quite choked up, talking about his childhood. And what he's talking about is the loneliness he experienced as a child. And... uh, 
there is an interplay between, hang on, but you're going to be on a desert island here. How does that feel, given the loneliness of childhood and wanting to escape from that into cinema, into films? And he says something along these lines. He said, well, he said, loneliness is to be feared. Solitude, sought after. Loneliness is to be feared. Solitude, to be sought after. Solitude is fine. When you've chosen to spend time alone, Loneliness, that sense that you don't belong anywhere. To no community to like, like this, to no family, to no group of friends, that is to be feared, said Tom Hanks, and actually so say all of us. Right at the heart of the human condition is this basic question, are we alone? Do we actually have to get from birth to death, fundamentally on our own? It's made even harder for these disciples in that they believed that they had tasted something, what it meant not to be alone in Jesus made even worse for them because they recognised that actually the more they spent time with Jesus, the more they realised they couldn't do it alone. And made even worse for them because actually he'd given them a job to do. And how on earth were they going to do that job alone? They knew they needed help. They didn't want to be alone because they knew what it was so good to be with Jesus. And they had a job to do. And so Jesus does what he's promised. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And then verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there is neither the time nor is this the place um, to unpack all that we could about the gift of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things worth saying about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is most definitely not an it. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit is never spoken of um, in terms of simply some sort of power force. So if you're into your Star Wars, this is not that, okay? We're not talking about feel the force, do all of that sort of stuff. Um, it's not some sort of um, Harry Potter-esque sort of power that you can tap into. The Holy Spirit is clearly in the Bible connected with, shown to be, the presence of God himself. A he or a she, not an it. Personal, relational, to be known. And Jesus makes that clear because he talks about my spirit, the spirit of Jesus. Each of them are filled with the spirit of Jesus, you could say. And actually, each of these oddities that we talked about right at the beginning, the wind, the fire, the tongues, each of those oddities are like, like a visual aid to show us three of the things that the Holy Spirit comes to do. Three of the ways in which the Holy Spirit answers Jesus' promise that they weren't going to have to be alone. And the first, which is this wind, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So it wasn't actually wind, it was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. And it reminds us that God's Holy Spirit comes to bring power from on high power given to us from outside not from inside us but given to us from the outside in you see the disciples had already recognized that they couldn't do it alone but the temptation for most of us is to believe that we have to do it alone we might know that we're not very good at days i mean my confession about being grumpy i hope connected a little bit with one or two of you at some point that you can recognize that at some point in your life there is a moment where somebody might turn to you and say you're being a bit off or you're being a bit grumpy or you're not the person you could be well we know thousands more moments in any given week where we're not who we could be we're not who we should be 
Actually, I think it's made even harder these days in our culture that is so strong on self-esteem, rightly so, in so many ways, that it pretty much tells us, and this is a phrase that's used again and again, you can be anyone you want to be. There's a video doing its rounds on Facebook at the moment. Clearly, I don't have time for such frivolity, but I'm told. Um, Actually, it's quite a good video for the most part. Um, It's one of the longer ones on Facebook, which simply goes through a whole load of really famous high achievers, scientists and and business people and great leaders. And it gives you, before you sort of realise who it's about, it sort of gives you a photo of them, you're trying to work out who it is, and it gives you this quote about them, about their failure. You know, all the ways in which Steve Jobs, who ended up um, turning Apple into this sort of world-beating, culture-changing company, all the ways in which he failed earlier on in his business life. Um, the things that um, Sir Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientists who ever lived, had said about him and his inability to learn anything at school. Um, Einstein, similarly. All these different people who failed. And I was thinking, this is great. I could do with, you know, I'm going to share this on my Facebook Live. It's wonderful. And then you get to the last slide. And the last slide has a quote on it. Something along the lines. This is probably me doing terrible injustice to them, but this is how I read it. It said something like, learn from their failure and their subsequent success that you have within you all you need to succeed at anything you set your mind to. And you think, well, that's just rubbish, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to be Einstein if I study from here to the end of my life. You know, I'm not going to be, you know, Sir Isaac Newton. I'm not going to be Steve Jobs. You know, I'm me. And even if you just said to me, well, Richard, you can be the very best version of you, I think, well, do you know, I don't manage that on any given hour, let alone any given week or month or year. I'm my own worst enemy. The the problem with me isn't out there. The problem with me is in here. My temptations, my addictive tendencies, my unpleasantnesses, my grumpiness. The problem's in here. I'd love to be able to solve it. The disciples knew this. They'd lived alongside Jesus for three years. They'd seen in Jesus what it was like to live a perfectly human life, what it was like to live just as they wanted to live, and they knew they couldn't do it. The Holy Spirit comes with power from outside to help us. We need help. I was reading uh, somebody who's a, quite a famous counsellor, therapist in the States, who was writing partly about the drop-off in numbers going for therapy in the States over the last um, 10, 20 years, um, and um, her own experience of how she has to change how she advertises her business. She tends to do therapy in a sort of high, um, uh, quite, uh, I was going to say highbrow, that's not the phrase I'm looking for, um, uh, in a sort of business context with sort of leaders and executive leaders. And she said she's had to change how she advertises what she does for the same reason that numbers in therapy have gone down. And she says it's because in the past I would advertise myself as, I'm going to help you change. You want to change, I'm going to help you change. Now, she says, I'm doing the same thing, but now I have to advertise, I'm going to help you deal with and live alongside difficult people. Now, do you, do you, get, do you get the change there? This is, a, this is not a Christian particularly saying. This is just a, a, a therapist counsellor. She's saying, in the past I was talking about, I'm going to help you change. And people came and flocked to her to, for inner change. Now, she says, the whole emphasis is on the problems out there. You have everything you need inside you to succeed. The problems out there, it's difficult people. Actually, the Bible says it's both, but it says you know where to start. It's here. This is where you start, and you need help. The problem isn't out there. The help is out there. The, the, the power of the Holy Spirit uh, indicated, if you like, that the visual aid of this rushing sound of wind comes to say you need God's help. 
Have you? Do you? Ask God for the gift of his Holy Spirit each day. Or are you going it alone? It's a simple question. Are you missing out on that gift of God, the power of God to change us, to become more the people we're meant to be? If you're going it alone, you are simply missing out. Wind, fire. Tongues of fire. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be, again, they're, they're struggling with language to sort of sum up what they saw and experienced. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each other. Now, this is quite different. The wind, if you like, blows through a place and it's gone. You can't sort of bottle wind. The moment you bottle wind, it's not wind anymore, it's just air. But the point about these tongues of fire is that they come, separate, and they, they rest. Fire in the Old Testament, so the, the, if you like the context for what they knew, most often was used in a spiritual context to simply represent the presence of God. So you think back to Moses in the desert, and he sees the burning bush, the bush that is a, a flame but not being consumed. And he knows that it must be something unusual. And he goes up and he's told to take off his sandals because the voice from the burning bush says, you are on holy ground. It represents the presence of God. What about when he leads the people out of Egypt, which in many ways is the background to the whole of this, but we haven't got time to go into today. Um, that fire in the desert led them. And it was described as the Shekinah, the glory of God, God's presence with them. Or the fire on the mountaintop as Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai and comes down with the, 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 the tablets of stone and the Ten Commandments. The fire, the flame. That's why Jesus described himself as the light of the world. He was standing, as far as we can tell, by the two huge lampstands covered in light, which reminded them of the, the light of God in the desert. The fire represents God's presence. We have a temptation to imagine that we go it alone. That even if we have some notion that God exists, even if there are occasions when we sense God's power helping us, maybe there have been times when you've prayed and you've sensed God's helped you with something. Uh, maybe you've had the strength to sort of say no to a temptation or give up on something that's becoming addictive or, or to be a better parent or a better partner. Great, but you think actually in the rest of life I simply have to go it alone. The disciples were missing Jesus at this point, don't forget. They loved being with Jesus. They were his friends. They were missing him. The fire, the tongues of fire on each of their heads was to remind them that they're not alone. That God, by his Holy Spirit, comes to bring his presence, his friendship, his accompaniment. They're not walking down this road on their own. God is walking with them by his Spirit. Every bit as much as Jesus did in those three years he walked the roads of Palestine with them. One writer of a previous century said, the way to think of it is this. Imagine a parent, a dad or a mum, walking along the street with their little kid. Let's say it's a dad and a son. I'll put myself in those shoes. And the dad's walking next to the little kid, maybe just walking alongside each other, and you watch them. And there's a moment where they're obviously talking about something and they turn and face each other and the dad scoops the little boy up and gives him a big hug. And from behind, you see the little boy's arms just wrap around his dad. You can imagine it as a little girl and a mum or whichever combination works for you. Puts him down, carries on walking. The question is this. Was that little boy more or less the son of his father before and after that hug? Well, on legal terms, neither more nor less. It's his son. 
That's his dad. That's how it is. But you know, whether you've been hugged or done the hugging, or simply longed for that hug, that the hug makes all the difference in the world. Because you experience it. You know it. As the dad, as the son, as the mum, as the daughter, you experience the reality of relationship. And the job of the Holy Spirit isn't simply to do something legal in us. The job of the Holy Spirit is to make God real to us. God is real, but we need to know the experience of what it is to be loved by God. We need the hug, because we're relational beings. We don't just need stuff up here. We do need to know stuff up here, but we need to know in our inner beings that we're loved. All of us do. What these disciples were discovering was that God wasn't just their heavenly father in name. Jesus wasn't just their friend in name. They were loved. God's presence was with them. His very presence, his relational presence. So my simple question for you today, if you don't mind me putting it in slightly trite language, is when were you last hugged by God? When did you last say to God, I need to receive more of your Holy Spirit. I would love to know your presence. I would love to know that I'm your daughter, I'm your son. Have you ever dared ask God for that? If you haven't, honestly, you're missing out. Do you know, an awful lot of life, we simply walk alongside God, just like the little boy walks alongside his dad. But there are those moments where you need picked up and hugged. And if you're not, you're missing out. We don't have to do life alone. We need the power of God to help us change To empower us, we need the hug of God, the presence of God, to know that we're not alone. And finally, there were these tongues. And the tongues were a reminder, a bit of picture language, actually not just picture, but heard language, to remind us that the job we're given to do, we don't do on our own either. We don't have to change on our own. We don't have to walk and live on our own, nor do we have to do God's work on our own. They'd been given the task. Jesus had said it in the, the, final, the last commission the, um, as he sent them out, as it were, and he said, I want you to take the good news starting in Jerusalem through Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to tell people this good news that they're not on their own, that they don't have to live this life solo. And then Jesus goes back to be with his father in heaven and I'm sure his friends thought, the whole world? I mean, the whole, I mean, there were maybe a hundred of them when Jesus left. The whole world. Now, actually, the world they knew was much smaller than the world we know. I don't mean because it's expanded. I would hate you to think that I thought that. But simply because they didn't know very much of the world then. They only knew the Roman Empire, and some of them would only know bits of that. But for Luke, the writer of Acts, the the names that I avoided reading, the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites, etc., represented the whole of the known world. And the gift that God gave them at that moment is a bit of picture language was to show them that in their witness, it wasn't just going to be them versus the world. It was God through them giving a gift to the whole world. And they did it simply by telling what they knew. You pass on the good news of Jesus, not by having to find out stuff you don't know, so much as telling other people what you do know, what you have experienced. For sometimes, it's as simple as simply saying you go to church. I guarantee in a given month, there are moments where actually... You tiptoe around what you did on a Sunday morning. 
because it's a bit odd and countercultural to mention you go to church. So you mention, you know, the party on the Friday night and the, uh, the Saturday morning at Tesco's and, you know, the Saturday evening watching Eurovision Song Contest and Sunday afternoon in Richmond Park and Sunday evening getting ready for Monday morning. And somehow, in the midst of all of that, we don't mention church because church is a bit awkward and a bit weird and we don't want people to think we're like that. Um, actually, simply, people meeting Christians is a big deal. Wow, do you go to church? Most people don't hate you for it, and if they did, you're probably not people whose opinion you're going to value very much anyway. The fact is, we're not on our own. Don't go through life on your own, says Pentecost. Jesus promised that he wouldn't leave us as orphans, that he would come. He actually has this beautiful phrase in, in John's Gospel where he says, I and the Father will come, and we will make our home in you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's this wonderful picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit opening your front door, coming in and making themselves at home. Making themselves at home. We had a sleepover last night for one of my kids' birthdays and we've had eight uh, young people making themselves at home. And our home is quite unnerving. A bit messy, noisy. Didn't get to sleep till quarter to three this morning. But they've made themselves at home. I know they're there. Actually, God coming in and making himself at home in us reminds us that we're not on our own. We have his power by his Holy Spirit to change. We have his presence to hug us and show us that we're loved. We have the gift of testimony and the ability to tell others because we don't have to live life on our own. We're going to worship. Um, Jesus is going to lead us in some songs. And simply in that uh, time that we've got, here's my challenge. Have you, do you, and even today, will you simply say to God, yes, I don't want to live life on my own. You may not know what it feels like or looks like. 